Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. We want to take a look today at Psalm 73. Psalm 73, and I know that it's not up to me how all of that happens, but because we are speaking today about a subject that I think Oh, it is something with which we all struggle. I'll have to say, honestly, I was saddened this morning about 4 o'clock when I heard the rain roaring on the roof. I said, Lord, I already know. Um, You know, Baptists, we're an odd sort. We will demand that you be immersed totally when we baptize you. But it can shower and we'll stay home. And, uh, but I, I, I know you're here, there's firm grip on the obvious, but I, I know God, uh, he, he has orchestrated all of that. I don't believe everybody's here that God wanted to be here, but, uh, I believe God has a word for us. It's just one of those things that I know that, uh, could be a blessing to so many, but We're in Psalm 73. Now, if we were Jews, I would have asked you to turn to book number three and turn to the first psalm of book number three. Because the psalms in the Jewish Bible, the Tanakh, they would have called the Old Testament, the Psalms were broken into four books. Now, there's still the same amount of them, but we have them all together in one collection. David wrote about half of them, uh, but others wrote some, some of them as well. And today, we're at one of Asaph's Psalms. Now, Asaph was the choir director for King David. He would lead them in worship. They would praise the Lord and, and uh, there in the temple area and all of that. So it was, uh, he had a serious job. And as a matter of fact, he's going to write 13 of the 17 Psalms in book number three. So he writes quite a few all together. I have been chasing Asaph down through these 28 verses since January. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. Uh, I like to do an outline because it kind of gives us a frame, a skeleton on which to hang the different parts and it helps keep you and I together as we go through the scripture and, and all of that. But boy, he has eluded me and it wasn't until this weekend that I began to realize that Asaph's on a journey. He is dealing with doubt. And he's going to start out in a good place and end up in a good place. But man, is he ever going to go some places in between there. But such a transparent word, such a powerful word of honesty from Asaph. I think it would, it would be a blessing to any believer who has spent much time at all walking with God. He starts in verse 1 of Psalm 73. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost stumble. He says, my steps nearly slip. That's battleground language. When you stumble or slip on the battlefield, that doesn't mean you dirtied the knee of your uniform, that means you're dead. He said, I almost wasn't here anymore. My faith basically was on life support for a while. I went through something. Let's find out what. He said, for I was envious, verse 3, of the arrogant. And when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. That means fat and shiny. Sounds like we're about to buy a hog or something. 
And they're not in trouble as others are. And they're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace and violence covers them like a garment. And their eyes swell out through fatness and their heart overflows with follies. Powerful word there. He says they can come up with some of the craziest, you have to add that syllable, craziest ideas you ever heard in your life. Their heart is absolutely overflowing with them. Now, if we don't live in a time when you hear more nonsense than you could imagine in a hundred years, I don't know who has lived because it's incredible. But he says, I, I looked at them and I saw some of the crazy things that they would come up with. Follies, their hearts full of them. Verse 8, they scoff and they speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They'll take you out if you mess with them. And they set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them. He's talking about those who follow the wicked. Their people come back to them and find no fault in them. They just keep returning to the same idiots doing the same things and they just make millionaires out of them. They, they find no fault in them. And they say this, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease, and they increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. I feel conviction every day of my life. But they seem to never be bothered with it. If I had said, if I had spoken openly and had spoken thus and said what's really on my heart, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand all of this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. And then I discerned their end. Truly, you have set them in slippery places and you make them fall to ruin. How are they destroyed in a moment? Swept away utterly by terrors. And like a dream when one awakens, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. It's like you had a bad dream and you woke up and was like, Woo, thank goodness that was just a dream. I thought my wife had a head like a horse. And, and, you know, we were looking for seashells on the moon and it was freaking me out. He says, God, the wicked to you, it is like you yawn and go about your business. It's as if they don't even exist in reality. He says, and when my soul was embittered, he says, I was pricked in the heart. I was brutish and ignorant. This is what this did to me, he said. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand, Lord. I know that. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you, they shall perish. And you'll put an end to everyone who's unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I may have, I have made the Lord my refuge that I might tell of your works. Wow. Now that's a transparent passage of Scripture. When you say, I had a spiritual crisis so severe, it made me act like the, some kind of brainless wild animal. And when you look at God and you say, God, I even 
was to you like a wild beast. I, you, you couldn't help me. I, I, I was like an unthinking, instinctive, driven sort of, of, of wild animal. I, I lost my mind worrying about this. I, I love the way that Scripture is so transparent. It tells us about Peter's hazardous zeal and Elijah's self-pity and David's affair and Moses' anger and the permanence of the thorn that Paul wore in his flesh. Those things are all things that, that, that if someone were just going to make up Scripture, you would never put in the Bible. You would have never made the disciples look so foolish and pretentious and narrow-minded. And you, would, you would never do that. There's so many things that, that you would change. But Scripture is full of truth. And I'm so glad that men like Asaph were willing, and God brought it to us through the inspiration of his word, to write about things that you and I go through as well. It's when truth and experience kind of meet and clash, that's when the doubts come in. He starts out, well, I know this, God, but I've got to tell you, what I see every day doesn't seem to match with what I know. I, I know you're good to Israel, and I know you love us. I, I, I got that. I know you're God. I, I got that. But, but I got to tell you, Lord, when I look at the wicked, and when I see how they prosper, and when I see how they don't even seem to care about you one bit in the world, and they just get along fine, he said, really, honestly, God, it is like you have condemned the righteous and you have elevated and prospered those who were unrighteous. And that makes no sense to me. You, you can learn something from a guy like Asaph. Oh, when people start all this jazz with me about, oh, I've never doubted God. You hadn't lived long enough then, have you? I can just tell you when you get saved this morning. When people start all of this foolishness that they think actually me, oh, I can tell you, I, I just trust in the Lord for everything every day of my life. I, I tell you, God, he, he makes perfect sense to me. Sometimes God doesn't make perfect sense to me. And sometimes I want to tell you, I have to deal with doubt. So we're going to take a look at Asaph and go on this little journey with him as he deals with doubt. Because I can promise you this, when truth, what you know and believe, runs counter to what you experience in life, in the battleground of your mind, there are going to be questions that only God can answer. And they won't always make sense to us. And he won't always answer them immediately. Why did it turn out like this? How did, how did this happen? How did I get to be 50 years old? And obviously that's an illustration. Uh, how did I get to be this old and... And, and I'm still single, or, or what happened to this great family that I had, and all the dreams that I had about all of those things, and, and what happened to this career that I poured my life into. And, and I'm not saying, you, you, Asaph was a man of God. He was not one of these fellows that lived life on the edge and was asking for it and finally got what was coming to him. He felt like I got the opposite of what I thought was coming to me, God. I've kept myself pure and clean and I have lived in a way that glorifies you. But it is like you have walked off the set, God. And I don't see you or feel you very much at all. Well, let's go with him on the little trip that he took. First of all, he starts with a confirmation. He confirms in verse 1, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. It's almost like he writes the psalm backwards. Because if you'll notice reading the psalms, no matter how bleak they start out by the end, it's positive. Every one of them are like that. No matter how bad it is at the beginning, if, if David or Asaph or whoever, Moses, whoever's writing it, if they do start with bad news, they end up with good news. It's just the way that they 
are written. But he starts out and he says this, Truly, I, I know God is good to Israel and to those who are pure in heart. Well, we can know those things, but i got to tell you something. Sometimes the, the battle of the brain versus the mind. I, I, I have struggled down through the years, and I've been honest with you about that, with OCD and some anxiety disorder and stuff like that, different things like that. And I can tell you, when the brain knows that everything is going to be fine, and the mind rushes in at the speed of lightning, and begins to tell you it's not going to be fine. And it activates that, that part of the brain, uh, amygdala, I think is how you say it. Boy, with a psychiatrist in the audience, I shouldn't even go here. But the amygdala is part of the brain that deals with fear. It processes terror. And it tells you when it's time to run and, and, and when it's time to fight. And, and if it goes off in the middle of the night and there's nothing to fight and, and there's nothing from which to run and you just kind of lay there paranoid in the dark, you are having a war in your own mind with reality. Because you know one in one way that this is how this is probably going to work out. I mean, the patrolman's going to come up here and he's going to give me a ticket because I had a tail light out and that's all that's going to happen. But by the time he gets up there with that starched cuffed shirt and that gun that looks like a tube of tin and he walks up to you, you are in a Full bore panic. You thought about running, but you knew he'd shoot and kill you. Sometimes you don't even need a state trooper. Sometimes it just goes off. And for you who have never suffered, maybe you didn't know you had an amygdala or an amygdala. Maybe that's how you say it. I don't know. I'm going to learn, though, before I open my office. And start counseling. Maybe you didn't even know you had one. I hope you don't. Maybe you've never had any problems with it. Spiritually sometimes though. We still go through these kinds of things. We know what God has said. He'll never leave us. Never forsake us. My favorite verse in all of scripture. Is Deuteronomy verse 20. Uh, uh, chapter 20, verse 1, when you go out to battle, not if, when you go out to battle, and you see horses and chariots and a people greater than you, be not afraid of them. For I, the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, will be with you. That should be enough. He's with me. And yeah, we'll amen that, that, and we should. That's a great verse. But I can tell you, when real life hits sometimes, uh, it's not so easy to hold on to those promises. And that's when we have to let those promises hold on to us. But that's just another cliche. It's impossible to realize until we take this little journey that Asaph took. Man, Isaiah 41.10, you know it well. Fear not, for I am with you. Fear not, for I am with you. You've seen on the internet already I'm sure especially Facebook's everywhere there's a fear not for every day of the year 365 of them one for every day of the year that's not true one they didn't have our calendar so that would have been that was my first clue but there are a lot of them fear not and why did he say fear not for I am with you he didn't say, I I'm going to work it all out, and here's how I'm going to do it. No, he just said, just know I'm with you. Just know I am with you. When I was a kid, I, I had a lot of problems with separation anxiety. Y'all, by the time I'm done telling you stuff on me, you you're going to have me committed somewhere. <laughs> just have Dr. Beasley dart me with a gun after the service and drag me off. But I, 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 I did. My mother gave me away when I was uh, 
four years old. And, and so I, I had a lot of that going on. I was scared to death I was going to be left. And, and I did get left a lot of places where I didn't want to be. And bad things would happen there. And I grew up scared to death that I would be separated. And, 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 but I, I, I'll never forget when I finally got to go live with Miss Nellie D. <laughs> and when I finally got to go live with my dad who lived with us there at Granny's house. Man, I'm going to tell you something. All I needed was for them to be there. I didn't need to know how they were going to handle it. My dad ran a construction business, and one day a drunk man came to the house that my dad had fired, and he was mad at my dad, and he was standing out in the yard, and he was cursing and hollering, and he was carrying on, and we were scared to death. And, and, and me and Steve, we got beside Granny, and we got that apron that she wore in front of us. It, it'll stop a stinger missile. And we got behind that thing, and we were looking out. But right in the middle of his tirade, I heard some jingling coming down the driveway. And it wasn't Santa Claus. It was the chains on that old tailgate of that Chevy stepside. And we knew Daddy was home. We didn't run then. We just wanted to stick around to see what all Daddy did to him before he got loose. Just being there. God being with us sometimes. Boy, it just is something else. And, and so remember that. He said, I know that God loves us, and I know that. He says, I'm not a fool. I'm not some backslid crazy. He said, just understand. I know that, and I understand that on an intellectual level. But in a realistic level, and on the experiential level, he says, I had some problems. And in verse 2, he had gives us a confession. He says, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. He said, I got to tell you, my faith just about ended. I almost lost it all. My steps had nearly slipped. As a matter of fact, we translate all four times kind of differently into English. But this is a Hebrew saying, but as for me. And he'll say it in verse 2, in verse 22, in verse 23. And he'll say it again in verse 28. But as for me. That would be word for word in the Hebrew text. I know this, but as for me, it didn't look like this. I understand that God's never going to leave me or forsake me, but as for me, I was having a crisis. I, I, I needed to feel his hand on me. I, I needed to know for a fact that, that, that he was there. I, I I needed to feel that touch. I needed something I, uh, more than, than, than I felt like I was getting. He says in verse 3, he goes on with his confession. He said, I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Man, which one of us has not been frustrated out of our mind when we see what some call the mortification of seeing that not only is sin well paid, but it's well thought of in our time. It's accepted. Man, drag queens and Jeffrey Epsteins, we got them coming to church now, in churches. We have them in our school system, and, and I'm not going to just keep going down that kind of list but here's Jeffrey Epstein he's a pedophile but he dies a billionaire and I know he died an untimely death and all of that but I gotta tell you something how in the world is is that fair hey, in our understanding of fair how is it that he died with so much money why didn't God give that money to somebody that loved him and cared about him not some stinking pedophile that 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 needed a savior I, why didn't he do something different in that situation and he goes on to verse 4 he says for they'd have no pangs until death he seemed he said, until death comes, they don't seem to ever suffer. Their bodies are fat. He goes on in verse 6, therefore pride is their necklace. And look at this, verse 6, violence covers them like a garment. We live in an incredibly violent time. But let me tell you this to make it even worse for me. These guys that go in these stores and beat the glass out of jewelry uh, cabinets and just take whatever they want 
or storm these stores like a mob and they just leave with everything. You know what they call that? They don't call it stealing. They call it getting paid. I got to go get paid tonight. That means I'm going to go rob somebody because I feel entitled to what I'm going to get. They have it and I don't. But tonight I'll have it, and they won't. And they go in wearing violets like it's a garment. I mean, they're covered in it. You see it. I mean, you couldn't miss it. They wear it like a garment. Verse 7, their eyes swell out with fatness, and their hearts overflow with follies. This is foolish ideas. And, and just think about it today. It was interesting Recently, I, I, watched, uh, I watched a thing where uh, the House of Representatives had some people from the school system, and I have grandchildren in the school system, so I'm interested in what's going on. And they had the guy that is head over all of the Department of Education, and they asked him, what is a woman? And he couldn't tell them. I mean, he could have. But when your heart's full of folly, and you think stupid, crazy, asinine, not a bad word, things, you might not be able to define that. They ask him, one time, can a man get pregnant? That should be pretty easy. I wish I'd have got questions like that in science. I'd have been like, doggone, man, that Solomon Floyd stuff, you can keep that. I, I got this test down. <laughs> you hear stupid things nowadays. Transgender athletes. I, it's the craziest, most foolish thing I've ever heard. I, I saw, and I'll, I'll just tell you, I'll be honest like Asaph, I kind of enjoyed watching it. But there was a guy in Canada he didn't put on a dress. He had his weightlifting suit on. He was as big as a mountain, hairy as a bear. And he was in Canada, and he entered the world or the national weightlifting contest for females. And he walked in and said, I identify as a female. And they had to let him compete. And when he walked out, he set the record for the female deadlift so high, it will never be broken. And he did it all to make a point. Sadly, I enjoyed watching him do it. It's foolish. This is crazy. He says, though, he said, that's what I kept seeing. He, he said every day when I, I, I'd read USA Today, they, it was just getting started back then. He said, I see these crazy things all the time. I just read today, I had not heard of this. Some of you probably have. There's a thing that seems to be fairly new called chromine. A 13-year-old girl. This is in today. You, you don't have to go... Way back in the archives and Google it. No, no, no. Just go to the Fox News webpage today. There's a girl on the front, her picture. She's 13 years old. She was huffing. If you don't know what that means, that means sniffing like you do paint to get high. But they're doing some kind of deodorant now. It's called chroming. She did it. About three days later, the doctors finally told her mom and dad, her brain is dead. And they unplugged her. It's crazy. Foolishness. He said, I saw it all the time. Verse 8, he said, they scoff. And they speak with malice too. Hey, the crowd we're against nowadays, they're like the ones Asaph saw. He says, loftily, they threaten oppression. They will come looking for you. They really will. Some... You, you probably have seen it on the news, some of these that march into big cities. Once in a while, they will, one of them will get a hold of a microphone and tell 
all of us in the urban and country areas, we're coming for you too. I hope somebody talks with them before they try that. I don't think it's going to work out the same. But that's just me. I'm not a fortune teller. I'm just a preacher. But I will tell you this. They're militant. They're militant. And it's not so much. I I, got to tell you, Jesus said, John 15, verse 18, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. You can find some comfort in that. If the world hates you. Progressive Christians read that and they go, oh, the world don't hate me. I get along great with the world. It was a church I couldn't get along with. It was all that preaching about do this and don't do that and all that kind of stuff. And that's what I didn't like. And, and, and mean old fundamentalists like Preacher Mike, that, those are the ones that I couldn't stand. I get along great with the world. I bet. He says, if you were of the world, here's the answer. Jesus said, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Hates you. Man. Verse 9, they set their mouths against the heavens. They'll speak against God. They'll speak against God. Don't think they won't. You just had not met the right person if you think everybody's got some kind of reverence for God. I told a man about Jesus one time. He called him an SOB and said, if he does ever come back, I'll put him back on the cross. That's how much he hated God. He says, therefore, the, his people, the people that follow these folks, they turn back to them, verse 10, and find no fault in them. Through my connections with Different pastors I know about a church in Asheville. That should give you clues to where we're headed. But the music director is married to the pastor. Now, that wouldn't be that odd. You'd think, well, okay. Problem is they're both men. And the church is fine with it. They wear it as a badge of honor. Let's raise the rainbow flag. All of that, I I know we get back on that one thing a lot, but I'm just telling you their minds are filled with foolishness. And one of these in this relationship attacks a dear preacher friend of mine all the time publicly and puts him down and treats him like he's out of his mind. I mean, and I look at that and I think, God... Why do you let that go on? He publicly humiliates a pastor who loves you and preaches the word, but he loves him so much, he refuses to turn his back on him. He keeps praying for him, sending him scripture, and being insulted. Verse 11, they say, how can God even know? Does God even know what's going on? Is there a knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked always, or these wicked are always at ease, and they increase in riches. I, I don't know if I'll get done with all of it today. It's okay, but I'll, I heard an old song the other day that every one of you will If you're old like me, you'll know it. I can't help falling in love with you. He didn't write it, but Elvis sung it. I saw a video recently. I've never been a big Elvis fan, but uh, Andre Baselli. He's probably got the best tenor voice of any human being alive on the planet right now. And that's probably because Pavarotti's dead, okay? And if you're thinking that he's, I'm talking about something you order to eat at Little Caesars, I, I, I'm not, okay? But Andre Baselli, he was in Vegas, and I watched this video of him, and he sang that song, and man, it was beautiful. I mean, that's just one of them old love songs that Loretta makes me sing to her and stuff, but 
Oh, it was beautiful. But I'd never really paid that much attention to the middle verse. If I stay, would it be a sin? For I can't help falling in love with you. Oh. Now, if you're singing that with your wife, that's fine. But I know a lot of people in one way or another, they sung that to somebody else's wife. But hey, is it really a sin? I, I can't help falling in love with you. I think it was Barbara Mandrell. I don't remember who sang, if loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. As some of you know, you don't have to raise your hand. But that's how we are. We have so romanticized sin. We didn't plan on falling in love, preacher, but my husband is just so cold to me. And, and the guy at work just understands and, and, and he tells me I'm pretty and, 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 and all of that or vice versa. These things get to going in our minds because we are sinful, depraved creatures. But then we justify. And then, let me tell you, this is why Asaph speaks to this preacher's heart so much. A lot of these preacher, people meet somebody else's spouse leave their spouse, take the other person's spouse, and then turn around and pass judgment on the church because we didn't give them a thumbs up. Man. Oh, I can't help but fall in love with you. Confirmation, confession. I'll move through these others quickly because I, I want to I finish if we can. Number three was confusion. He said, all in vain. He says, have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence? He says, I'm confused about my own salvation now, God. Why have I lived for you? And why have I given you my life? And why have I avoided temptation? And why have I tried to walk the straight and narrow, God, if, 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 if walking the crooked road is going to be so prosperous? And he says, for all the day long, verse 14, I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. I feel I feel convicted. I, I feel in my heart that, boy, this is a horrendous thing, and, and, and it has to be addressed. But, boy, he says they seem to not care at all. Confirmation he started with. He moved to a confession. Then he talked about his confusion. And then he moved to some contemplation. He's on this little journey now. He said, then I began to think. He says, if I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. In other words, he says, as a leader, sometimes I feel things I can't say out loud. Boy, I know how he feels. And if you're a leader and have been one very long, you know how he feels. Sometimes there are doubts that we have and fears that we have that, boy, things that we just really cannot express. I'll share one personal one with you and move on, but I'll tell you this. I'm just going to be honest. If I told you how I really feel about professing Christians who vote for politicians who support abortion, you probably would never come back. You don't know how little regard I have for that. We are killing those babies, and we are doing it because we vote to do it. And when you hit the button... In the little voting booth, it might as well be a life support machine on a child. I know you don't see it that way, but I can tell you that's how I see it. But I'm not going to say it. I think I did. Oh, my goodness. I, I'm just telling you, honestly, and there are people I love, and they love me, and we're great friends. But I wonder sometimes if that person really knew how I feel about people that make these dumb excuses. And they go, well, I'm not a one-issue voter. And what about the children that are going to grow up poor? You know what you ought to do? Go where there are some poor children and tell them, you know you would have been better off dead. You wouldn't do that. 
But when your heart gets full of folly and you start thinking with your impulses instead of your brain, then you begin to justify wickedness at a, at a level like you just can't imagine. Oh, I'm glad I got that off my chest and I'm glad I didn't say it. Verse 16, but when I thought how to understand this, he says it seemed to me to be a wearisome, wearisome task. He said, I just didn't know how to wrap my mind around it. The psalmist David in Psalm 55, he was having a week like Asaph had. He said, if I had the wings of a dove, I would just fly away. You know what was going on when that happened to him? He wasn't facing Goliath. We're not sure if it was Saul. We're not sure if there's several names that come to mind for scholars. But David had had a friend that had betrayed him. He says, I'm so hurt. I'd like to just get away. I'd like to just go somewhere. And hide, he said, in the forest. I don't want to fight this. Oh, I stood up in front of Goliath, but Goliath I knew could never hurt me like this person did. Because Goliath was never my friend. He never professed to care about my well-being. But this was a friend who cut my throat. You ever have those days where you just would like to just get away? Just go somewhere. Confirmation, confession, confusion, contemplation. Number five, he started getting some clarity. He's coming back now. We, got, we have detected a heartbeat. Verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then that's when I discerned therein. When I went to worship God, that's when I began to figure this out. It reminds me so much of Isaiah 6. Isaiah said in chapter 6, I saw the Lord. I had a vision of the Lord in the temple, and he said he filled the temple, and he said he was high and lifted up, and he was seated on a throne. He said, I saw his place. That was his throne. I saw his person. He was holy, 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 and I felt his power. He said the building shook as I was looking at the Most High. And he says, and then I saw two things right after that. He said, first of all, I saw my sin, and then I saw the sins of those around me. Same thing happened to Asaph. Asaph said, man, until I got my eyes off of them and put them back on the Lord and realize that he is large and in charge and nobody's going to get away with anything and that he is the one responsible for all of this and not me, and let me take my feelings and wishes off the throne and put God back in his rightful place. He said, when I began to worship God, he said, that's when I began to have the light come on. I began to worship God. He said in verse 18, that's when I realized truly you have set them in slippery places and you make them fall to ruin. Well, if you're in a slippery place, you just best be careful. Your feet may shoot out from under you and you'll be upside down before you realize it. He says, oh yeah, he said... He said, these people who think that, boy, they stand so firm and strong and they have all of these crazy beliefs and hearts full of folly. He said, I tell you, he said, they're already standing in a slippery place. They are daring the most high. Boy, he said, they're not very stable and they don't even, they don't even realize it. They don't even realize it. I went back and looked it up. 2017 was when CBS came out with the article. That Iceland had all but eliminated Down syndrome. Oh, not by some medical miracle. But once they learned how to detect it before birth, they killed every one of them. That's slippery right there, buddy. 
That's not somewhere I want to be standing. My goodness. How do you call that medicine? How about like you going to your doctor and your doctor saying, hey, I got something that can keep you from getting old. And you go, man, I want it. And then he just shoots you right in the head. See, for me, it'd be too late as a Mario. So crazy. He says in verse 19, how are they destroyed? How they are destroyed in a moment and swept away by terror. It's like a dream. God, you wake up from that dream. He says, it's like those people don't even exist. It was just all a nightmare. It's not even part of reality to you, God. Those people, those people that do these wicked things are no threat to you whatsoever. I'm going to move on. He also found comfort, number six. Nevertheless, he says, I'm continually with you, Lord. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And then last of all, I'm skipping a lot, but he winds up on his journey with doubt, his dealings with doubt to a place of certainty. Verse 27, for behold, those who are far from you, they shall perish. And you will put an end to everyone who's unfaithful to you. But he says, but for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord my refuge, that I may tell of your works. God, I had a bad night. I don't know how long this took. Maybe he had a bad week. Maybe he had had a bad year. I don't know how long the crisis lasted. But I'm so glad that Asaph was willing to write so you and I could read his story. Because I don't know about you, but I know about me. I need to hear this. I needed to know that. And I've been suspicious about it for a long time. But these people that Oh, they just never doubt God. They, oh, Lord, have mercy. They just, I keep thinking, well, then, God, what's wrong with me? Is there something here that that I'm missing? Saw a recent video of a worship service where a preacher was preaching. Boy, when it got hot and got right, they opened a box, and out come a big old snake. Looked like a cotton mouth, but I'm not sure. He held that old snake up, talked about his faith in God, and that snake bit him right there. And in about five minutes, he was still preaching, but he was already down on one knee. I didn't see anything much further than that. But I thought if they don't get him to a hospital fast, that old boy's going to be standing before him here in a few minutes. I, I, I can just tell you, I have faith in God. That's my confirmation. But I'm not going around picking up copperheads, okay? I'm not going to dare God. I'm not going to say, God, I, wanna, I want you to show off. I want you to... I want you to, 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 to use me, God. I, I, wanna, I want you to use me in my ministry, Lord, to show them the power of, of, of your hand. I, let me tell you how God has already used me to show his hand of power. He saved my rotten, worthless soul. And he could raise me from the dead physically ten times. That's nothing to compare with when he raised me from the spiritual death dead in my trespasses and sins. I've walked with him a long time. I study his word. But I got to tell you, there's sometimes, it's, it's called technically theodicy. It's the study of how can evil exist. Theodike is God and justice. How can God be just and yet 
there be wickedness in the world. Oh, I understand why Hitler got his. He had it coming. But little innocent children that are beat to death by their parents or starved. I don't get that one. And and, and I know we live in a sin-cursed world, but I got to tell you, that only goes so far for me. I'm like, God, you could have stopped that, I know. But see, I'm not God. So I have to do like Asaph did. God, I'm all right when I just stay near you. Let you run this place. Because I can't promise you this. One of these days, God's going to say that's enough. He's going to stand to his feet in glory and everybody up there knows what's about to happen. And he's going to come get his bride and take us home. I'm ready today if he wants to come. Really. I won't even have to finish out this round of cold medicine. I'll just go on. Be with him. Man, I'd love that. Shoo. Bride of Christ. Yeah, I was a groom at my first wedding. I'm going to be a bride at the next one. Good looking one, too. Because he's going to present me blameless. Oh, man, only God could present this fool here blameless. You ever deal with doubt? If you hadn't, you will. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. Oh, it's so powerful, God. How? How, God, can it just know the ins and outs of our heart and the experiences that we have? Lord, the things, some of which we never tell anyone. God, you know. You know. You know there are days, Lord, that... There are days, God, that we just can't wrap our mind around how certain things can happen. Of all the people that could have died, why did it have to be her? Of all the people that could have endured catastrophe, why did it have to be that guy? So humble and and loving and faithful to you. How can these things be, God? Lord, forgive us for not trusting you like we should. But we'll probably do it again. God, I pray that you'll just help us and help us to know that you have us by the hand and that you're with us and it's good that we just stay near you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.